Today's guest on Community Conversations is my good friend, Adugwit Manuel. She's a researcher, cultural consultant and youth activist. Welcome, Adungwit. We just want to start by asking you how your primary and secondary education was like here in Australia. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me on, Georgia. Um, so I came to Australia uh, just before I turned eight years old um, and I originally grew up in Brisbane, uh, so it's a little bit different from Melbourne and Victoria. Um, and so I started in grade three, primary school. Um, and, and can I ask where you've come from? Yes, yes. So I'm um, South Sudanese background, but I was born in Egypt. So I've never actually seen South Sudan. Um, I was born in Egypt and then I came straight to Australia. So yeah, uh, people get really excited by that bit of information, you know, and the follow-up questions usually, have you seen the pyramids? <laughs> um, and I didn't realise it was such a big deal, actually, until I came to Australia and everybody was so impressed. Well, yeah. most Egyptians have quite a few languages under their belt. Yeah, yeah. So I really, yeah. Um, so I speak Arabic and my home language is Denka, but I'm not so fluent, and then English, which I picked up here. Um, yeah, so I started grade three in Brisbane uh, at a Catholic school. And from the first day I uh, I started, it was an assembly day. And I remember sitting in between these two girls and they looked uh, past me over at each other. And I remember I didn't speak any English then. And they're like, wow, she's so black. She's so smooth. And then they started touching my legs without any communication to me, the person with the body. And so that's kind of been the epitome, I would say, of my experience as a African person in Australia in some form or shape where decisions are made for you type thing. I don't know if you get what I'm saying by that. Mm. Like um, you're not really asked for permissions. Things just happen and you have to go along with it. So that was my very first experience in primary schools being touched on the leg by two girls sitting uh, either side of me when uh, I was terrified, knew no English at all. Um, and progressing after that day, um, my experience would be a lot of mispronunciations of my name, um, a lot of mischief, obviously, as young people, um, getting more and more African students in my school. It really excited me because um, I was one of the few people at the school that was of colour. Um, and then I would say for my secondary school, my biggest experiences, things that I would say I remember the most, was trying to prove myself the whole time. I felt, I guess, I had to be better um, in everything I did just to get recognised. And I remember one time in law class, this was in year 11, and I'll never forget this. Um, my teacher asked, um, asked all of the students to look at the board, uh, which had five or oh, 10 plus um, topics that we had to, and we had to try to remember five of them. Most of the class couldn't remember the full five. And when it came to my turn, she asked me, Adongwa, um, do you want to give it a go? And I'm really good at remembering things short term. That's just a talent of mine, it's a skill. So I was able to name five things off the board from the top of my head. She uh, 
she then proceeded to make the whole class clap for me. She was that impressed. She made the whole class clap for me. And although I'm sure she thought, you know, it was an endearing gesture, I felt outcasted. I felt like it was so unexpected for someone like me to be able to get these things that I felt, you know, was in the capability of anyone and everyone around me. So to be clapped at like that made me feel like an outsider. And I did mention it to her that I didn't like that. So I guess my experiences were just ones of being different. I've always felt a little bit different and I never got to forget it, if you know what I mean. And I think uh, a lot of students can probably relate to that even today. Um, I don't know if you're obviously uh, a very active uh, person in the young community. Have those experiences, do you think, changed for others? Um, I don't think the experiences have changed. It might have become a bit milder um, as time has progressed because obviously there's been a larger influx of Africans uh, coming into Australia. When I came, it was 2002, so it was still early days. But now we have an abundance of um, the African community all over Australia. So I guess people are a little more cautious in the way they behave or they're more aware um, of how to make people feel like an outsider and try and not do so as much. But in one way or another, everyone is still experiencing it. I still have, you know, younger siblings in school that, you know, tell me stories very, very, very similar, if not exactly the same, to some of the things that I experienced during that time. Mm. And I'm just wondering, you know, I always think that schools need more sort of cultural competency. Do you think mm -hmm. that that's still the, the thing that, that, that they really need, especially the teachers? Um, one million percent. Uh, absolutely. I'm currently, you know, as you've said, uh, or as you know, I am researching and my area of research is the disengagement of youths. And when you hear it like that, it's all, it sounds like I'm trying to figure out a solution to how the kids react to life. And I feel that the conversation has always been around that. How do we get the kids to get by? But I don't think that the conversation should be focused on that. We should be focusing on how do we get these adults how do we train these adults? How do we show them what the right way to act is? Being a teacher and teaching one, two, three, ABC is one thing, but learning emotional intelligence, you know, learning, uh, yeah, like you said, cultural competence, how to treat different people of different backgrounds, uh, perhaps even just learning some history uh, before coming into a classroom uh, that's going to be diverse. I think cultural competency is huge. It's a huge part of uh, something that's needed. Yeah, and I sometimes think, and I know we've discussed this previously, that we're always asking for the other to change yes. rather than actually looking at how whiteness and white privilege can, to, can change. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's a conversation that's hard to have, obviously, because the majority is white. You know, I even get shy saying white, you know, I try and find other ways to make it less harsh. And what, why is that? You know, it's... Um, maybe it's easier for me to say white because I am white. Exactly. So like, I, don't, 
it's mm. easier for a white person to perhaps bring up whiteness than it is for the other. Yeah, and it's not even because it's harder. It's because we know it's going to get thrown back. In it. Like if if the conversation, if a white person is not ready for the conversation, then a conversation cannot be had. Exactly. And it doesn't matter how ready the other person is, it's going to get shut down. And that's just the way of life, unfortunately, and it needs to be changed. And this is why people like yourself and other advocates, other white advocates that, you know, can talk clearly about whiteness and, and white privilege uh, is so essential um, to make these changes because it takes 10 times longer sometimes for someone of color to kick and scream about the wrongs that are being done to them. But if a peer, a white person who isn't going through these things can go to another white person and say, hey, um, you know, you might be wrong. How about we think about these things? It's a lot less overwhelming uh, for them to hear. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Um, some white people would say, like me, well, what can a white person do to make those people feel more inclusive in our society? So do you have an answer just for the general white person? What can they do? For me, well, Rihanna said it um, actually in one of her uh, speeches earlier this year or last year that if every black like a lot of black people have a lot of white friends and if they can say that they have these white friends and these white friends need to also be as active and as involved in the black agenda, we are all one. So for me, my main message is speak up for us, show up, don't let things slide. You know, um, sometimes it's easier to just stay quiet in a big group of people who feel one one way or say some things sometimes it's easier to just be quiet and let it slide even if you don't agree my message is to say something to educate because at the end of the day it's the only way things will change is if you educate the next person and I work really hard to try and tell myself like don't always get upset sometimes it is ignorance and people will remain ignorant until someone decides to you know educate so educate when you can. So do you still feel like the other, do you think, even today? Uh, yes. Well, as you can hear from my accent, um, people don't always know that I'm a African person or a black person. Um, so it always seems to shock people when they see me physically. And it seems like the way I'm treated when you don't see me as opposed to when you do see me is different. Wow. It's different. And for it's really hard for me. I, I feel like I'm a third-generation kid. That's what I'll call myself because I have a lot of white friends. I have a lot of diverse friends uh, and a lot of Africans and a lot of people, minority groups, like to stick to their own kind because it's safer. I totally get that. But for me, I have a lot of... African friends and I have a lot of white friends but wherever I go when I'm hanging out with my white friends they all think oh you're super African you know and then I hang out with my black friends and they're like wow you're so white yeah so and I- I've heard that I've actually heard that quite a bit and those it's funny because those um those same people who says I've got black friends 
um, they're like, oh, you're so, you know, you know, you can hang with us and it's all great. But mm-hmm. then all my white friends are like, oh, my God, why do you hand, hang around with all those black friends? Yes, yes. So you're always, you know, but a little bit, you know, you've got to work yourself out within yourself. Do you know what I mean? In terms of I have a small, tiny taste of what that might like because sometimes I'm pushed away from white friends because I have black friends. But I it's never true. feel like that when I'm with black friends. Exactly. And that's one thing um, I love asking, you know, white people who have been around Africans and, and, and minority communities to explain, you know, their experience. Because oftentimes people who've never or they've been too afraid to even approach a black community have all of these stereotypes and ideas and they're very very surprised when someone like yourself or Liz comes and says all I found is respect you know all I found is welcome and people are like really so it's really nice you know for people such as yourself to pave that way to be like it's not all bad it's not as scary as you guys think guys there's actually like a lot of beauty here um but but most of my black friends are Australian it's like well uh they're just like everybody else because they're you know there's no exotic they're not exotic people that you can't approach they're just your basic next door neighbor Aussie person yeah but I would I I feel the same way as well inside my heart and body um approachable and normal but someone walking past me doesn't feel that way they still see me just as a black person to be afraid of yeah so, and I think we yeah. should clarify that that's, that's the experience that I'm never going to have because I am white, that, exactly. you know, that I seamlessly walk into a store and, you know, um, treated with respect. Suspicion. And oh. I'm not treated with suspicion and, you know, my life is pretty seamless because I'm the majority in, in this country. That's it. That's it. And, um, like, I know young kids and everything, have had a bad rap, but that's not everyone. And like to look behind that, and I'm sure you've researched this and other people, but when you don't feel like you belong, obviously you're going to go find a place you belong, whether it's in the street, um, whoever that cheers you on is where you're going to give your loyalty. So when you are trying to fit into a society that tells you that you don't fit in, you're going to go find somewhere to fit in. And unfortunately yeah, it's Yeah, and not- I find that I find it surprising when perhaps, you know, you get a group of African and Australian kids who are in a group yeah. and people find that even more threatening. But, in fact, they feel the safest they ever do when they're in that group mm-hmm. because they feel like, you know, they are included and they are supported and people understand them. Exactly right, exactly right. And, you know, that's... I just hope as time progresses, I mean, Australia, in terms of multiculturalism, um, you know, black-white relations is relatively new compared to, you know, the US, the UK, France and all of that. So I do have hope um, that things will get better. I just think that uh, we can make it progress even faster by putting all of our heads together um, and, yeah, just challenging the status quo, really. Yeah, and I think maybe that's the hardest thing because obviously black people are the minority in this country, so they're the people on the margins. And so you're asking perhaps the majority of people 
to change, yes. which is a very difficult task. I mean, like we said, at schools or whatever, uh, when when discrimination happens, they tell the kids, you know, here are some ways to deal with racism when you are faced with it. Here are some ways to deal with discrimination when you are faced with it. It's never put like uh, get the school, sit them down and say racism is not okay. You will be punished for doing these things. Um, you know, I one of my siblings got suspended for two weeks, yeah, for um, for calling out a teacher for being racist, for saying some racist things. And apparently that was verbal abuse and it offended the teacher. And therefore my sister, who was the one that was racially abused, uh, was the one suspended for two weeks. So imagine that. Mm. And I've heard so many stories like this. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. So it's really, really hard to fight the system when it's so resistant and when there is a majority that is very resistant to change or not even resistant, they can't see it. That's the worst part when you just can't see it. There's they're seeing it and denying it. And there's just, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't believe in your experiences because I don't see it. Yeah, isn't that funny that they say, I don't believe in your experiences. Now, I can't understand that as a statement. Imagine. <laughs> that's how that person feels. You can't say, well, you didn't feel like that. I know because that I disagree. Like I disagree and I see it from people all the time. I hear it from teachers all the time. Oh, we respect your opinion about racism, but we don't agree that that is the case. And that's so wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've done some cultural consultancy with many schools, but they are very reluctant to say, well, that's not me, so I don't need to listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a battle that I think we have to keep going with, and um, I know that the kids often are caught between those two worlds of trying to be African, but they're Australian. Yes. So they're caught really in between those two sort of worlds, and I think that provides a fair bit of tension and angst within Definitely. those. Definitely. Definitely, like you know. We don't walk around seeing our skin color, only the other person who's looking at us. So when you walk down the street and you just feel like yourself, you know, you're happy, you feel like you're Australian, you just go into the shop for a normal day and the whole world is stereotyping you as you walk down the street. You start feeling worse and worse and worse about yourself. It's just really unfortunate. And then once that anxiety and all that fear is within us, um, and, you know, kids start rebelling or uh, disengaging or shutting down. Um, that's when the conversation starts. Oh, well, these kids are rebelling. These kids are bad kids. But nobody ever looks to see what happened beforehand, what got them to the stage. Yeah, and I think maybe that's perhaps a form of power that they have because they're so disempowered. The only power they have is to act out. That's it. Because they know that you can't, nobody can change that because I'm the only person who has power over me. Yeah, what's the point? Mm. And just to disrupt is a form of, you know, rebellion. Just to disrupt is a form of rebellion. Exactly. And a form of power. And that power provides that person with some sort of identity. That's it. That's it. So it's just, it's a, 
big thing that we really need to tackle. So tell me, um, how is your research going to sort of help with this cycle? Yeah, so my research, so I want a Churchill Fellowship um, and the research is um, about, you know, investigating disengagement within African youths. So by disengagement, I, I'm trying to figure out the reasons that kids start shutting down in the first place. Um, and I have my own experiences, but I am one of many. So for me, what drove me is seeing my siblings and, and, and friends and colleagues and just other people of African descent uh, being dismissed. So my research is really trying to figure out um, how the curriculum plays a part in disengagement, how the way teachers interact with kids and how that, you know, encourages or discourages en- engagement. Uh, programs outside of school programs that are also helping with engagement. So I'm trying to figure out all of the ways the world can support these kids without having to sit the kids down and be like, oh, there's a harsh reality and this is how you navigate the world. I don't think it's up to the kids to do that work. I think it's up to the adults to figure out how to treat children. So hopefully my research will, I would like for it to change policy in terms of uh, cultural competence and having that as a prerequisite to becoming a teacher, you know, not just something that you learn along the way because you have diverse students in your class for the first time, but what are you learning at university? You know, are you learning how to treat minority students? Are you learning that different uh, children have different learning needs? Are you aware that there is intergenerational trauma? Things like that. Because I think once there's some sort of context, once there's some sort of empathy that's kind of, you know, stirred up, then things can change. But if you have no empathy, if you have no idea what someone's going through or could have gone through, then you have no need to treat them any differently. To to someone like that, a child is acting out because they're acting out. They're disruptive because they're disruptive and they just need to be, you know, pushed aside. Whereas kids who are lashing out are the ones that are most in need. So with my research, I just want to bring back facts on how to work with children from different backgrounds, how to treat them, how to elevate them and kind of some causes and reasons to why children would even act this way. Home troubles, you know, personal troubles. I don't think teachers get those kind of education. Sounds fantastic. So how can somebody get in contact with you or get updates on your research? Yeah, so... Um, I think the best way I'm on LinkedIn um, as Adungwit Manuel, and I am also on what would I say? Because I'm on I'm on Facebook right now, but Facebook uh, Ad Manuel um, and my email address. Obviously. And I might put put that up all on with this podcast, so everyone yeah. can have a look. Yeah, that'll be lovely. Um, And yeah, right now uh, with the council, uh, we're currently 
developing a mentoring program where it's we want to have the mentors as minorities Africans, most likely, but we have different minority groups uh, and we want to train these mentors uh, and we want to get them on the ground helping other African children, other other minority children, because it's really nice just to see someone of your own culture and background uh, being there for you. And that's with the Brimbank Council, is that correct? Brimbank Council, yes. They do so many great programs. Um, it's it's crazy. And that's in the western suburbs of Melbourne, and I'm sure you can go to their website and have a look at the things they offer there. Yes. Thank you so much, Adongwood, for um, coming on to Conversations today, and we really look forward to the updates in the future. Thank you so much for having me, Georgia.